come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. We are live. Hey, everybody. It's the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Billy the Kid, a.k.a. the Korean Cowboy, in the studio. What's up, guys? And as always, it's Ryan Scott. How are we doing, everybody? And welcome to episode 103. Today we will be talking about none other than the world-famous Disney. We're talking Walt Disney. We're talking Disney World. We're talking all the conspiracies that are surrounding this legendary man. Yes, the (laughs) hidden message, the conspiracies. We are back in the lab tonight. And this one, guys, it's been a long time coming. I mean, guys, I'm not even kidding. Look at this is the book I read for this. You see in this? Encyclopedia. This is like actually the uh, it's like a Stephen King book. I'm reading about this guy. Um, Now, everybody knows Disney. You know, we're raised on Disney. It's a staple of anyone's childhood. Right. This is very true. I mean, at least for our generation, maybe the generation before us two times. Probably the generation after us as well. Probably like what, since the early, like, like 30s. Yeah, like 40s. No, the 20s actually was when like the original Mickey and the Steamboat Willie, I think was the 20s. Okay. Now... I actually just watched Saving Private Ryan the other day. (laughs) Okay. Steamboat Willie. (laughs) Oh, my God. I forgot about that. You remember that that part? Yes. That's that's what you think of when you think of Steamboat Willie. (laughs) Them killing the Nazi in Saving Private Ryan. Well, I guess they didn't kill him, yeah? No, Um, they did not. (laughs) So they're... Nazi sympathizers, we could say. Yes, in this episode, we are looking into the rumors, the conspiracy, the lies, and possibly get to the truth of the matter to find out what is going on up there in Mickey's castle. I now it was Cinderella's castle. Yeah, you know, it might be, but you know, Mickey, he's the Yeah, he's standing there now. Yeah. Now okay. Started out, this one started out, subliminal messages. You know, there's like, we've all heard the tales, you know, Dick on the Little Mermaid cover, the sex in the sky of Lion King. There's like a priest with a boner, right? Little mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what else we got? Was there any others? In, and when did you guys hear these tales? I think for me, it was around like middle school. Yeah, I think so. I think the Dick on the cover is the first one I heard of. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say middle school, somewhere around there. I just remember seeing the Lion King, like, sex, like, when the leaves, like, <laughs> spell sex. And I was like, that is so obvious, yet so hidden at the same time. It just blew my mind. And now you noticed it yourself, or did somebody, like, show you? Oh, I didn't notice it myself. Okay. I think I, like, read something about it. On the internet it. or some shit? Yeah. So, actually, I was probably older okay. than middle school. All right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, that's how this one started out. You know, we all heard the classic tales. Um... There's also the tales of, like, Disney is racist. Uh, You know, Walt himself was an anti-Semite or a full-on Nazi. Uh, Walt's head is frozen. Disney is a child trafficking front. Or Walt was in the Illuminati or was at least influenced, possibly controlled by them. Have we heard these tales as, as well? I have. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, there's all kinds of stuff floating out there, and we are going to take a look at most of it in this episode, looking at Mr. Disney himself, 
some subliminal messages, and of course, his sinister Illuminati agenda and cryogenically frozen body lying in wait until science is able to reanimate the cartoon tycoon himself. Now, here's a disclaimer with this one. Uh, Another open-minded, we'll say, maybe salt grain episode because a lot of this research right off the internet and specifically sites like DisneyConspiracyTheoriesCom.wordpress.com. <laughs> These are the actual sites. Conspirazi.com, which is a great name. It's like paparazzi, but conspirazi. Um, LoveTheTruth.com slash 13 Bloodlines, which is like an insane site. I think it's like a Christian, like a fundamentalist Christian site that's talking about how there's Satan in like everything. And then. There's also a ton of these like list type websites and YouTube videos, uh, most of which are also insane and not really fact based. I mean, did you guys come across any anything like this? I watched a couple of YouTube videos just breaking down uh, a couple of the conspiracies. So, again, just like opinion based. Mm-hmm. Just like throwing yeah. out facts like nothing. um I mean, they I brought know. up facts on the episodes, but it's also like kind of how we're doing this research for this podcast. It's not like nothing. I mean, there's concrete evidence for some of the things, but most of it is it's just, just like, kind of like hearsay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, as I'm saying, as I'm looking at this stuff, not a whole lot of literature written on these topics, but I did use, I did find some credible sources as well. Well, it's a big corporation. They don't want the secrets getting out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, also public corporation, though, so you can look up their finances and stuff. Um, But they own a lot of stuff these days. Now, as we always do, top of the episode, I mean, have you guys ever heard of Disney? I was just in, I was in Disney World. I, I was like very confused. Like, is that a serious No, question? that's honestly a joke. Everyone's heard of Disney, <laughs> right? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, And then, like, these rumors specifically with the, like, Illuminati frozen head type stuff. I mean, we, we've all heard the subliminal messages. We get pat, we got that. Uh, what about, like, the rumors, like, this guy's evil, Nazi, like, that type of stuff? I didn't know too much about the uh, Nazi thing until I started doing the research for the podcast. But the frozen head thing, the Illuminati reference, okay. I, I had kind of heard some of that stuff before. Uh, I mean, I've just, I've heard that like Disney was like a, you know, some people claim that he was like a racist and, uh, you know, just like a very intense like figure and an individual. And that's kind of the reason why he created that, like such a vast empire that is now Disney. And okay, he, he was kind of like an asshole. So yeah, I've heard of that. I've also heard of um, like some of the paranormal stuff surrounding the parks, which I don't know if that's. You know, if you looked into any of that, but there's there's a couple of stories that are pretty. You know, yeah, I did find like a frequent. Yeah, there's like all the stories about the deaths at the park. I think there's something like, um, dude, it's got to be upwards of like high, like low twenties deaths at the park or something like that. But I I did uh, I didn't put that in here just because that's like I do have some stuff related, which we'll see. But uh, like I didn't want to go through every death at the park, you know, um, but. No, totally. Now, now, what are you guys' takes on, I guess, I mean, we kind of heard from you, uh, although I don't know if those are your true beliefs. Like, what do we think of Disney as a man, 
uh, or I guess as a corporation, like, do we like them? Do we think they're evil? Uh, what are our thoughts? I mean, I would, I would just say Disney is, is the like entertainment machine and like Disney created this, this thing that is just, you know, in, in its own, in its own lane. And, um, I think there's a lot that can go, you know, that, that can be, be behind the curtain of a corporation that is that powerful and, you know, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll just have to see what the, you know, what you research and, and the facts that get laid out, but I would, I would not write it off completely. All right. What are we thinking, Rob, going into this one? I feel like the whole like foundation of Disneyland, Disney world is kind of based on giving families like a fun, like fantasy place to hang out and kind of escape the real world. So that is supposed to be like a kind of like a hap, you know, they say it's the happiest place on earth. But I think maybe when you like peel back the curtains, maybe, you know, kind of like some Wizard of Oz shit, the guy running the thing, maybe he's a little fucked up, you know? Okay. So you do think Disney as a man was, uh, what, corrupt or evil? Like, or what? He had his vices, maybe? What are you thinking? I think. M- Maybe even though he intended for these parks and movies that he's produced to be super uplifting, like happy stories, it maybe came from like a darker place and perhaps he did have some, uh, you know, not so great ties as far as like the Nazi thing, Illuminati. Okay, okay. All right, well, let's get, let's get into it, you know. Uh, that's why we're here. Let's start off with a brief overview on Disney himself. Uh, now, earlier when I said credible sources, one specifically was his biography, which, as I said, one hell of a book bit written by Neil Gabler? Gabler? We'll say Gabler. Uh, we'll say Gabler. Uh, now... Again, also, I didn't want this episode to be like a Disney jerk-off session. Uh, (laughs) You know, I also didn't want it to be a Disney slandering, you know, because I think it's so easy to see a corporate figure like Disney, uh, a guy that's built so much, and just be like, oh, this guy was evil. Just write it off as like, this guy was a Nazi, a piece of shit, an asshole, like you were saying. And and just, you know, it's easier to punch up, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, so I did try to find some middle ground, <clears throat> which is why I used his biography. And I kind of wanted to discuss that whole conspiracy angle because you look at a lot of these conspiracy sites, like I mentioned, and they're going to say, you know, well, of course his biography is going to have only good info about him. You know, it's, True. it's written as his biography. Um, but you know, we have to start somewhere. It's like all these, it's like, a, you see this a lot with the conspiracy theories, I think. Um, especially with the UFO stuff, you know, you have these sites like, um, DOD releasing information and people are like, well, that's a fucking, that's what they want you to think. Obviously (laughs) they're only going to release what they want you to know, but then they use that same thing to provide the theories credit. They say, well, look at this leaked document from the DOD. Obviously they're up to something. You know, you can't discredit the same sources you're using to credit your cause, if that makes any sort of sense. True. Uh, So with this one, you know, it's like we have to start somewhere. We have to say, all right, these are the facts. 
Yeah. And I mean, this guy did a hell of a lot of research into the guy's life. And as we'll see, not all flattering stuff that he wrote in here. And also, I would highly recommend this book to anyone if you have the time or enjoy biographies. It's about as big as uh, Stephen King's It, but uh, it's uh, it's one hell of a read. Not now, as scary. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. <laughs> uh, no. Less clowns. Now, let's get into a brief background on the tycoon himself. Uh, so here we go, guys. Let's, um, let me set the scene for you guys. The year is 1901. American pharmacy Walgreens was founded in Chicago. Uh, May 17th, the Panic of 1901 happens and the New York Stock Exchange crashes. In June 24th, Picasso exhibits his art for the first time ever in Paris. September 6th, William McKinley is assassinated, shot at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York, and died eight days later making Vice President Theodore Roosevelt the 26th President of the United States. And on December 5th, Walter Elias Disney was born in Chicago's Hermosa neighborhood, just northwest of the big city. Uh, Now, when he was four, family moves to Marceline, Missouri, which is about two hours east of Kansas City. And this is where Walt kind of developed a knack for cartooning, drawing art in general you know he went he went to school bounced around at odd jobs here and there in the i guess drawing industry um you know he worked for a uh like a copy editor is what it's called or like an advertising agency doing um posters just that type of shit you know bounces around at jobs like that uh he also lied about his age to join the army in world war one and fight Uh, But by the time he got there, the armistice was already signed. And all the while, he's fucking around with animation in his uh, free time. You know, he then moves to Hollywood at the age of 21 to shop around some ideas. And it was here that him and his older brother, Roy Oliver Disney, co-create what would become the Walt Disney Company. And uh, bing, bang, boom, he goes on to build the empire that has since permeated itself into American culture, you know? Um, Now, even though we basically just jumped over his whole climb to tycoon level, that's not to say it was an easy feat. Uh, The company, you know, it had its ups and downs, financial woes, its hurdles to jump. In the 1940s, they were nearly bankrupt numerous times. They went over budget on a lot of early films, some of which were box office flops, Fantasia and Bambi included. Uh, There were artist strikes, unionization, all this before he began to even think about building a theme park, which had its own set of problems. And I, I was reading, I think that he took out like in order to get the park going, he took out a policy like on his own life insurance to like fund the park. Um, you know, and, and it was essentially until the theme park, the company was always on the cusp of bankruptcy. Now getting into the man himself. So in the biography, one of his close associates described him as quote, painfully shy and very critical of himself. Now, Disney used this, uh, cartoon tycoon public identity that he had built up later in life to hide his shy, insecure personality. And he essentially became two different people. Um, And he, quote, in the book, it says he knowingly played 
the role of bashful tycoon who was embarrassed in public. Now, Disney acknowledged this facade, and he told a friend that, quote, I'm not Walt Disney. I do a lot of things Walt Disney would not do. Walt Disney does not smoke. I smoke. Walt Disney does not drink. I drink. Yeah, I was looking up. Walt Disney apparently smoked three packs a day. And uh, his favorite drink, any guesses as to what that was? Scotch on the rocks. <laughs> yeah, well, you just read ahead. It was a scotch I, mist. I, Black and white I, scotch. Oh, man. I didn't, I it over didn't ice. read that part. <laughs> I'm in True. twist. Uh, hell of a drink. I was actually, I had a couple of these to kind of get into the Disney mindset. Uh, not my favorite, I'll say. Yeah, not, not into it. No. It's okay. It's a Chicago thing. <laughs> now, as I said, you know, I'm rereading his biography. It's, it's pretty interesting to see how he changed over the years alongside the development of Disney becoming this massive corporation. You know, he was an art guy first and foremost. Uh, so he used to dress real flamboyant, like think uh, Prince or who's that painter? How do you say his name? Basquiat? Yeah. Jean-Michel Basquiat. Yeah, dressing like real flamboyant like that guy. Like uh, what did 50 Cent say that uh, Jay-Z dresses like a gay painter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, that's <laughs> really? like, yeah, that's like wow. Disney, you know? He was wearing these like per- real flamboyant purple uh, jackets. Like his hair was disheveled and messy. Uh, I put a picture, a few pictures down here to show his like evolution of of how he he dressed and came off. Um, and in the biography, it's, it's like this was after the war because during World War II, Disney was contracted to make propaganda and educational films uh, for the for the DoD. And he then became this sort of clean-cut, plain-suit-wearing guy with a slick back. You know, he had more responsibilities. He was this corporate figure. Looking pretty styling, honestly. Yeah. And what, in the early days or, yeah, or well, all? I mean, both. <laughs> okay. And, you know, he kind of was pushed this way by the corporate world. As we said, you know, his studio was always on the cusp of bankruptcy. So he needed to appeal to the masses in order to work with these suits in Hollywood and even Washington. And not only this, but but with this wholesome family entertainment, you know, he also kind of typecast his own company. You know, it's we've all heard it's very PG. That's very Disney. You know, that's some Mickey Mouse bullshit. Like he his company became the the poster uh, child of like family entertainment. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, we've all heard the expressions in the biography. I thought this was interesting. Like a lot of the animators that worked at Disney said they wish they had worked uh, for Warner Brothers with Looney Tunes because Looney Tunes was like pure comedy it was so out there it was more adult like they thought that was the funniest shit ever and they wished that they could do stuff like that but being at disney they were kind of pigeonholed into this in a box yeah Yeah. um and uh, even disney himself tried to kind of get out of this box um one thing they gotta throw a couple dicks in there (laughs) (laughs) Um, well one thing i was reading that i thought was crazy that i had never even known was that he Met and collaborated with Salvador Dali in the forties. Did you okay. have you guys ever known? Did you guys ever know this? No, absolutely not. I believe uh, if you remember the remember the museum we went to in France, uh, think, the Dali Museum. Yeah, yeah, I think there was that same picture in the museum. Yeah, um, this was uh, so they worked on this film called Destino, 
which was kind of shelved in the 40s, but it was re-released in 2003. It's actually on Disney Plus if you have that. Check it oh, out. Oh, yeah. It's like seven minutes. It's fucking badass. Imagine Dolly doing a Disney film. And, you know, Disney did this to try to break this mold. Like, he wanted to work with more, I guess, uh, progressive artists or more, I guess, surreal artists that were pushing the envelope at that time. And Dolly was stoked. Like, this was two of the most influential artists of the 20th 20th century meeting and collaborating um and yes there is a picture of him with dolly there um now views on disney and his work have changed over the decades and opinions seem to be polarized we'll say you know there seems to be no middle view here it's either like this guy is a nazi occult illuminati corporate figure or he's an american saint uh that's as cut in stone as washington or lincoln you know, uh, earlier evaluations of Disney hailed him as a patriot, folk artist, popularizer of culture. And more recently, he's been regarded as a paradigm of American imperialism and intolerance and a debaser of culture. Well, who hasn't? You know? <laughs> now, now, what do we think there? I guess everyone's guilty. Are we saying maybe he is more of a this guy's just corporate? Uh, corporate greed at its finest look at this giant company or, or are we saying he is truly an influential artist that uh, the world probably would not be the same without I think he and correct me if I'm wrong here but um, I feel like Disney itself as the corporation blew up way after Walt was even because even in doing some of the research I did, like a lot of the more famous rides like Pirates of the Caribbean, that wasn't even open until after Walt already passed away. So Yeah, that was the last ride he worked on. Yeah, so it's but... like all the stuff that Disney has become since his death, I feel like... It's not like he's responsible it's, for It's that. still a reflection of him because he kind of like laid the groundwork for it, but I feel like you can't take Disney what it is today... And be like, oh, this is... The man. Yeah, this is Walt Disney. He's a fucking prick. Okay. I feel like, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know the guy personally, but I feel, <laughs> like I said earlier, I think going into everything and like having the love for art that he did, you can kind of see that he, he had good intentions, but I feel like the more you climb up that corporate ladder, it's just so hard to not kind of intertwine yourself with some shady individuals mm -hmm. and i'm sure at some point like he kind of realized that and maybe went down the wrong path but i don't think i mean there's definitely worse people that have been in the world than walt disney okay what are we thinking bell anything man i couldn't have said it better to be honest i agree with rob like i think when you you know i don't have you guys ever seen a movie called uh saving mr banks I have not, but I heard about it. Uh, didn't Meryl Streep have like a big rant about Disney being a Nazi at when that got an award? I, probably. I don't remember that exactly, but essentially, Tom Hanks, right? Like Mary, yeah, Tom. It's like Mary Poppins. Tom. Hanks. It's basically like the story of how Walt Disney like basically had to force the writer of Mary Poppins, which was a book before, uh, obviously, became before Disney acquired the rights to it and made it into. The classic we all know now but essentially the movie is about like disney's like 
like strive to like buy this this book and stuff and, and i think like tom hanks plays disney and of course tom hanks is an incredible actor and the movie really i feel like gives you a glimmer of like the the true passion that disney had for his art and i think what i agree with rob about is just how i think that's how it started he may have gone down nefarious paths who knows but i think the disney that is now is just it's just it to be honest in my opinion it's just a bunch of cash grabs like Okay. okay, all these classics are making crazy money. Let's just keep doing remakes. Let's just keep doing another Star Wars movie. Like, you know, and it's become <laughs> this, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's such a gargantuan, like, monster in entertainment. Um, like, you can't really okay. compete with it. All right. Okay, now, first off, when we're talking about the man, and let's, uh, let's get into this one. First off, racist Walt. Have, I mean, we've heard this, right? Like Walt Disney was racist. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we have heard this. Yeah. And maybe, you know, I don't want to kind of dwell on this considering I'm not, I don't fall into the minority that these are all about. So like, who am I to say, you know, I don't know how that feels if Disney's making this content about um, those people <laughs> that I don't even mean, I don't mean it like, I'm those not even people. saying that, you know, like probably want to cut that one, this minority <laughs> that these are possibly about, you know, some African Americans. Now also I don't really want to be labeled as a white supremacist again. You know, we've, we've had this happen to us before, uh, but these are just the bits that I've researched and this is what I've got. So a lot of these racism charges uh, stem primarily from the use of racial stereotypes in Disney movies from the 40s. You know, you got the infamous Black Crows in Dumbo, uh, Fantasia's Black Servant, and of course, Song of the South. A movie deemed, quote, so offensive that the Disney company will no longer let it be seen in public. Now, you guys have seen Song of the South, right? I think so. Zippity doo that's it. That's Song of the South. Okay. Okay. Man, uh, I, it's probably been like like last time I saw it, I was probably like a really small kid, so I really don't remember it. Yes, Uncle Remus. I know <laughs> yeah, the catfish it's about, are huge. It's about Uncle Remus. Now, <laughs> from that description I just read, that's so offensive they won't let it be seen in public. You think it this shit's like birth of a nation or something. You know? Um, when all in reality, I well, a lot of people write that it's just more so racially insensitive than it is outright racist. You know, it's the tales of Uncle Ramus brought to life by Walt Disney. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about this because a lot of people, um, I don't know. I mean, when it came out, it was protested uh, because it kind of depicts like it's set in Reconstruction era south which obviously horrible time to be an african-american blatant racism (laughs) yes you know you had the formation of the ku klux klan all this horrible shit and it's portrayed as like they're just living peacefully they're singing fairy tales zippity fucking doodah you know that's kind of where the uh i guess backlash comes into play you know it's it's depiction of race relations here that are the issue not that um I guess Disney is like outright racist for doing this Uh, because the actor in the film, James basket as uncle Ramis was one of the first Hollywood portrayals of a black actor in a non comic character in a leading role in a film meant for general audiences. And Walt campaigned for him in 1948 
um, to get an honorary Academy Award, making him the first black male performer ever to receive an Oscar. So is that something that I guess a racist would do? Well, see, that just goes back to what I was saying before. It's like he has these good intentions. He probably, I mean, I don't want to like talk out of my ass here because I don't (laughs) know for a fact, but you would think that a guy like Walt Disney is making this film with the intention of like, hey, everything can be like this movie. and It's what he would imagined it to be. Everything could be like this. Uh And then it just gets you know, different interpretations right. see it the wrong way, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it's like we said, you know, we're not African-American. I don't know how this would feel to see something like that, you know? And if I'm being honest, you know, maybe, hey, Disney, let's not make a fucking fairy tale about yeah. Reconstruction Era South, right? Right. Um, now, the book, the book does note that Disney anticipated the controversy. And in attempts to make it less racist, uh, he had like rewrite meetings with the NAACP. However, this meeting never happened and the movie was released anyways. Um, But I did see that he was sending the script around to a bunch of people getting rewrites and rewrites and rewrites. Um, And it's like we said, it's more or less probably like the writer and maybe Disney. Oh, shit. And maybe Disney himself was portraying like how they wish things had been. Um, you know, we see similar shit with Pocahontas, but I guess this is seen as like revisionist history because it, it obviously it's not going to be great if Disney makes it historically accurate. <laughs> yeah, film, like a forty-year-old right? man taking a thirteen-year-old yeah. Native American bride. <laughs> yeah, like probably not a great idea. That's not a great idea. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like a, a lot of things you have to you have to look through the lens of a certain time period and. And by, you know, I'm not condoning in any way, shape or form, racism, hatred, segregate any of that. I think it's awful. But I think like, when were these movies made? Because, you know, throughout history, people have unfortunately accepted certain things as kind of the norm, even though it was complete, completely despicable in retrospect, but it kind of was just the reality of the time. Yeah. So is that like racially motivated? Or is it just a product of? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, if so, he campaigns for this guy to get an Oscar. He has him in the film. Like if this if Walt Disney was truly like racist to his core, like we're talking like David Duke racist. Right. He wouldn't even like work with the guy, you know? Yeah, that movie. And he exactly <laughs> like, oh, yeah, let me make a movie for you for you to win an Oscar as an African-American, which is, I mean, incredible. But if he was a true racist, why would he like be a champion for that? just doesn't like make a lot of sense yes and there is um walt disney's own behavior uh in the book uh gabler cites a meeting in which walt referred to the snow white dwarves as a n pile i'm not going to say the full word you can insert it um so you know that's a little questionable um a pile of new balance sneakers uh you know (laughs) you got i'm sure that's what it was um so you know that's not by any circumstances a flattering fact but it is a fact and it's like it is like you were saying um you know i guess we we do have to look at things through the lens of the of the time because um it's like i was listening to this dan carlin podcast about and he was talking about columbus 
And like, it's obviously so easy for us to be like, this guy was a horrible fucking rapist piece of shit. Like, you know, he exploited all these people, yada, yada, yada. But obviously that's the case when you pluck him out of the 1400s and put him in 2022. When you look at his time, like the Spanish Inquisition hadn't even happened yet. So like everybody in that time period was probably just as fucking barbaric as Columbus. Um, if not worse. Yeah. Now look yeah. at things. So you can't really look at use like today's timeline to look at, I guess, what Disney did here. And obviously this is fucked up. It's wrong, you know, and it's not. But it's like not like we were raised in this time. You know, Disney died in 1966. That's only two years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, you know, the guy that won the Oscar, James Basket, for Uncle Ramis, couldn't even go to the movie premiere in 1946 because the theater was segregated in Atlanta. Jesus. You know, so that's, I'm, yeah, it's that's fucked stupid. up. And I'm, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but it's an explanation. And it's like we said, these are facts. And, you know, we got to look at the facts. Right. Um, so. I don't think Disney himself was like racist to his core, but obviously Disney's done some very racially insensitive shit, just like most shit in the past was. Um, now, moving on, we got anti-Semite Walt. Have we heard this one? Nazi. Walt was a Nazi, a Nazi sympathizer, anti-Semite. We heard this. Uh, I Like I said before, I had not heard this until we started getting into it for the research, but... Okay. Well, pretty interesting thing. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't heard. No, I I hadn't heard this one at all, actually. Okay. Well, yeah, this is actually one of the most prevailing views on Disney is that he was an anti-Semite. Now, other than reasons we'll get into, I think this one became such a prominent bit of info because it's it's you know good. It's a juicy story. Think creator of Disney, the man responsible for so much joy in so many people's childhood, is a Nazi. You know, it's like the Mr. Rogers tall tale. Do you guys remember everyone saying, oh, Mr. Rogers was really a Marine sniper and he has sleeve tattoos and that's why he wears the sweater? Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> it's like just a, a complete myth. Yeah, that's weird. Never heard that one. But yeah, so this I'm thinking same type of thing here. Now, some theories point to Walt being, I guess, like labeled as an anti-Semite because he was one of the, if not the only big like studio execs at the time in Hollywood that was not Jewish. Um, so they were like, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah, may, I mean, maybe that's <laughs> just the theory that he points to in the book. Um, and this one, uh, hear me out here. So this is a fact that in 1938, uh, Walt gave Leni Reifenstahl a tour of his studio now, if you don't know who that is, she was a famous director who directed a lot of Nazi propaganda films like Triumph of the Will and Olympia. Um, now, furthermore, this tour was only a month after Kristallnacht, which was just when Jesus. everybody in Germany went crazy, destroying Jewish businesses, um, killing Jewish people, that sort of thing. Uh, now, it's obviously not the best optics there, right? Yes. No, <laughs> so, definitely not. <laughs> Absolutely um, not. But Disney did go on to renounce her three months later, claiming that he was unaware of who she was when she issued the invitation. Um, and a lot of people say that Disney was just politically naive. And that's why he kind of gets pushed around into these different categories. Uh, because for so much of his career, he took the 
I guess we'll say Michael Jordan approach. You know, the famous like Michael Jordan when the Dems were trying to get him to speak for them and they were and he was like Republicans buy sneakers too. He just wanted to stay out of it. I think Disney was similar in that he was just, you know, I I don't want to get involved in politics um, because that's what that type of shit was at the time. And, you know, he kind of, I guess, I don't know, politically naive, um, we'll say. Now, there's also the Art Babbitt rivalry. Now, this guy was an animator at Disney for early years. Uh, He developed Goofy was an animation director on Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Dumbo. And briefly after the war, he also helped to organize the animator strike and eventually formed the union, which would be the Screen Cartoonist Guild. Now, he is said to have hated Disney intensely. And though he did claim to see Disney at a German-American Bund meeting, which was like a pro-Nazi organization... Uh, he never accused him of making anti-Semitic slurs or taunts. Now, the only evidence that Walt ever attended this meeting comes from the claim by Art Babbitt, um, which in this instance is a questionable source because they had this rivalry with the union. Uh, He disliked Disney at the time. Um, In the book, you know, it says Disney was far too busy at the time with this to even like attend one of these meetings and he was politically uninterested. Yeah, some of the uh, documentaries that I was watching on YouTube were talking about this claim, and but they were saying like this guy went to those meetings yeah, and then to claimed like, to see <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, I saw Disney at a couple of these too, and it's like, well, you so you were there, but like, maybe he was there scouting out the Nazis, dude. I I guess, <laughs> but I mean, it's still not a good look that uh, yes, you were true. there and then um, you're the only one that ever claimed to have seen him. I think, I don't know. To yeah. me, that just kind of seems like bullshit. No, yeah, it does. And in the biography, it says the guy he saw him with was Disney's lawyer, who I guess was also Jewish. Um, so That doesn't add up. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't add up, but you know, it still is a claim, so we got to throw it in here. Uh, Now, Joe Grant was another artist and the head of the model department. He says Walt was not an anti-Semite and some of the most influential people at the studio were Jewish. He says, thinking no doubt of himself, along with production manager Harry Title and Kay Kamen, which was head of Disney's merchandising arm, who himself once said Disney's New York office had more Jews than the Book of Leviticus. (laughs) (laughs) That was a pretty funny quote. Wow. Um, But the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, or MPA for short, is probably the biggest stain on Walt's legacy. Uh, The MPA was an organization created during the Red Scare, declaring its purpose to prevent communist, fascist, and other totalitarian-minded groups from gaining a foothold in Hollywood. Now, among this group's members were politically conservative actors such as John Wayne, Clark Gable, and Ronald Reagan. Now, the MPA, I'm looking into these guys. They're essentially rabble rousers at their finest. Now, do you guys are you guys familiar with rabble rousers? I think this is a term we need to bring back. I have not heard of it. Yeah, I just picture someone just like, just... <laughs> 
saying gibberish. <laughs> like, I don't know what the word I've heard it before, but yeah. So a rabble yeah, I rouser, I guess they use this term in the height of the red scare. It's like somebody that plays into somebody's emotions. You see this all the time with like Instagram posts. Now, you know, those posts that are just like a bunch of text about like basically how you should act um, and how you should behave and shit like that. That's kind of rabble rousing. You know, it's, it's, it's using your emotions to kind of, get you going, you know, get you fired up on a subject that you might otherwise have been indifferent to. Does that make sense? So basically the news nowadays. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, it's just like, yeah. Propaganda. A hundred percent. Now, as we said, you know, they, watching those damn rabble rousers. <laughs> yeah. These are fucking <laughs> rabble rousers, dude. Um, so as we said, Walt Disney at the time, he had gone through the bitter labor dispute in 1941 and the guy who wrote his biography says that um, a lot of the anti-Semite charges stemmed less from personal behavior and more from Disney's association with the anti-Semitic Motion Picture Alliance. Now, he says, though Walt himself, in my estimation, was not anti-Semitic, he willingly allied himself with people who were, meaning some of the members of the MPA. Now, even though Disney distanced himself from the Motion Picture Alliance in the 50s, the reputation had already stuck, and he was never really able to expunge it throughout his life. Um, so those are, I guess, I think the racism, the anti-Semite, two of the biggest like rumors or myths, I guess, we hear about Disney. But as far as like the man himself goes, did you guys have any other input or, or thoughts? I mean, I think we kind of already hit the nail on the head with the whole like... He's kind of pushed different ways. He becomes this corporate figure, and it's a, it's a cash grab at this point. Yeah. Are we getting into more of the Illuminati references later? Oh yeah, I've got the Illuminati stuff at the end because that's the real juicy. Okay. Details. Okay. <coughs> so, I guess now that we've got an idea of the man himself, let's get into the films and some of the subliminal stuff. You know, it's like. Were his views echoed in these films? And is this a means to manipulate the masses? Now, what are we thinking here right off the bat with, uh, I guess, Disney's films or children's films? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, most of Disney's messages are, like, just inherently, like, positive and uplifting. And, you know, you have the you have the princess that gets saved by the, the prince and all that stuff in a happy ending. But I think like a lot of those stories were stemmed from, you know, old folk tales like Pinocchio, for instance, where like, you know, P Pinocchio in the, the original Italian story, he was like this, this child that was just, you know, had the worst behavior ever. And so like the, the, the whole idea of Pinocchio, the original writer's idea was it was essentially a book about how much he hated kids because they just annoyed him. So Pinocchio was like the, the, the pinnacle and like the expression of that annoying kid that he hated, you know, and then it turned into this whole nother like vision with Disney. And um, I think the, I think a lot of that can still be embedded in some of it. It's just they're going to they're going to frame it in the most PG family friendly way possible. I was going to say, um, just stemming off what Billy said, like, I think that most of the, most of the ideas he had were definitely supposed to be like good morals coming out of it. And like 
maybe a lot of them are like overcoming like obstacles and hardships to create that happy ending at the end and obviously it's in those in those different tales he's it's impossible to not kind of have a hidden meaning behind some things and then obviously when you have like multiple animators and writers and directors on things they're gonna pour their kind of like twist and flavor into it too so it's kind of like a culmination of everyone that works on the film you know okay okay now another book i found when i was doing my research was this book mouse morality which is the rhetoric of disney animated films and this is by annalee r ward if you want to check it out uh and essentially what this book is is like you know disney films um like as the company, Disney as a company attempts to appeal to the largest possible audience, you know, and she's asking questions about Disney's overall worldview and morals, um, you know, and she says that there's a need there, you know, for parents to use judgment in letting their children learn moral values and life lessons from Disney films. But I mean, I'm thinking as I was reading this, like, who's doing this anyways? Or maybe I guess more people are doing this than we think. Like just, you know, how many kids are they just like, yeah, take your iPad, go watch your fucking shit. Like, do you guys remember as a kid ever being like sat down and maybe like explained about a movie or or something as a kid? I can only remember like one time in my childhood. Disney movie? Not Disney movie. It was I, I went over to my friend's house and we watched the X-Files rated R's. First rated R movie I ever saw. And I remember mom like found out and clearly like sitting me down telling me like it's fake so that I wouldn't be scared and shit. But I mean, I wasn't scared anyways, but that's, I think the only, I don't think there was ever a time where, you know, your parents sat you down and like explained to you about maybe like, Hey, you know, Pocahontas, it wasn't maybe historically accurate or something like that. I don't know. I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts here on, on this sort of thing? Like Disney as an educator for children. I mean, obviously, a majority of the stuff Disney puts out is definitely for kids, but I can't remember a time where someone had to sit me down and explain to me about a Disney movie, per se, but... Yeah, I can't I can't think of anything where my parents sat me down and explained, like, this is what, what is this that? means, you know? Actually, no, that's a lie. <laughs> Uh, I went to I went to Best Buy with my mom when I was like twelve or something when uh when Blink One Eighty Two's Enema of the State <laughs> came out, and it's, I remember her just looking at the track listing and just being like, I hate the fact that I'm going to buy this for you right now, and she would just be like, you know, just just take the lyrics lightly, you know, it's it's they're kind of derogatory, <laughs> but you know, it's fine. It seems like it's more our parents explaining to us about like. Um, you know, off the cusp shit like that, like rated R X files, like fantasy shit, like fucking blink One Eighty Two, their lyrics, you know, not like Disney movies. They probably don't even think twice about it. Maybe that's what she's trying to say. Like, Hey, don't just have your kids learn all their moral values from (laughs) Disney movies. Yeah. But maybe we did. Absolutely. Well, I mean that, that that's assuming that she's speculating that, uh, there's there's hidden bad messages within Disney that like you you probably should not let your kid watch yeah. you know now, it's not okay to push your brother <laughs> off of a cliff and kill him and then take over everything that was his 
Yeah. They, <laughs> now, this yeah, exactly. is a quote from the book. So they say, here is where we reach the absolute center of Disney's power. It begins with children for whom Disney products are so powerful. They teach life lessons. Think of Pinocchio's nose. And they build dreamscapes. Children grow into adults who are fond of Disney because it shaped the way they think about the world. Disney films are a significant force in children's moral education. Um, so I guess like, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know how to think about this message because it's not like, because some of the stuff she uses is um, like, you know, Disney is is subliminally telling you that black is bad because all the bad characters are are like dark colors, like dark purples, and 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 they wear black, like you know, shit like that. But I, I don't think there's most re- villains wear black. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I <laughs> I know. I was thinking, like, did Disney invent yeah, I don't that know, like, like, concept? If she's like... getting at that Disney invented it, but it's just, I don't know. I don't, I really, that's what I'm saying. It's tough with this one because it's not like there's a direct educational effect, but I, I guess that's what her argument is. You know, it's on a subconscious level. So we don't even think about it. And, you know, it just becomes ingrained in us. Well, um, technically, Mickey Mouse is black. Yeah, that's, okay. that's true. There you go. You can write a fucking, write a think <laughs> piece back to her. And this also goes back to the bit about like, Disney films being historically accurate because she does use like them kind of reshaping history and shit like Pocahontas, obviously probably the best example. <laughs> but like we don't really want to see the historically accurate Pocahontas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. Where she goes back to England with John Rolfe and like dies at age 17. Yeah, Or, or do we want to see that? Is it is kids she, with a guy that's three times her age? So is she arguing that it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's kidnapped and forcefully converted to Christianity? Like yeah. is she saying that it would have been better for Disney to show this? I don't think that. I think it's just like, if you, if like, let's say you watch that movie as a kid and you never learn the historical accuracy of it. And you're just thinking this whole time, like, Oh, Pocahontas was this like native American princess. I mean, I probably did think that until I was probably like, until fucking you learned about 16. it in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? You're like, Jesus. Yeah. Christ. And then you're like, wait a second. Yeah. This isn't what I heard. Uh, but yeah, I, her dad was like scalping people yeah, and like yeah. chopping people's heads off with like axes and They're stuff. They're like eating people at the settlement to survive the winter. I don't know. Is this like. Yeah, exactly. Is it, like, is it bad though for Disney to say basically, hey, let's make this into a educational kids piece? Well, sometimes I wonder though if when Pocahontas was made, if it's more of like. Uh, Hey guys, we need to stop making all these movies like this white princess that marries a white guy and like let's kind of broaden our horizons and have like a different story here. Okay. But also at the same time we're not going to make John Smith the fucking like 40 something year old old white dude. Yeah. <laughs> he actually was. <laughs> and is it like I thought it was John Rolfe that she well, yeah, and kidnap a fucking <laughs> Native American yeah. child and f- forced her to become his bride and move back to England. Um, but didn't it like actually? I want to see that historically accurate Pocahontas because wasn't she like a celebrity in England? I mean, I think there. She, yeah, and there's definitely documentaries about it. I don't well, think there's I know, like an actual like a movie. film. 
Because isn't it fucked up? Like it wasn't it like he took her back to be like, we can train the savage to know our ways. And like, this yeah, was like, like, that was like her savages. Remember that <laughs> song, dude? Oh, well, okay. So what then is the message of Pocahontas? Isn't the message just to be like at, like be peaceful with nature? Would you say? Hell yeah. Say, yeah! Like definitely. paint with all the colors. Can you of the wind? paint with all the <laughs> colors of the wind? Um. Okay. I mean, yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I mean, like she's got like animals following her and stuff. She's one with nature. Okay. Now, just, just around the river bend, you know. All right. Now, not getting into the messages like that, like more subliminal stuff. So I'm pulling. I pulled like a few bits on subliminal messaging. So subliminal stimuli are any sensory stimuli below an individual's threshold for conscious perception. Now, MRI studies have proven that subliminal stimuli can activate specific regions of the brain despite participants' unawareness. Um, Now, most actions can be triggered subliminally only if the person is already already prepared to perform a specific action. Now, that's already kind of a mind fuck, right? Um, But here's an example. So if you're hungry and a subliminal message flashes up, like, say, an image of a cheeseburger really fast, um, you'd be more primed and ready to get a burger as opposed to a sandwich or a hot dog or something else. You know, it can direct a person's actions even when they believe they're making free choices. Now, subconscious messaging is no longer permitted in a lot of countries today, and despite being subject to federal law enforcement, subliminal messages specifically in advertising are not expressly forbidden by the U.S. government. Hmm. Yeah, like every single Wendy's commercial is not like, <laughs> yeah. like come to Wendy's over like Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Burger King, and like Taco Bell. Like we got the best stuff. Yeah, I guess like most of that stuff is subliminal uh, or is it? I mean, that's just kind of directly telling you go to Wendy's. Like wouldn't subliminal be if they like flash like go to Wendy's right now, like over their, their ads, like very. Quickly? Oh, yeah. You know, and like just the, the slow motion, like burger, like turning and you can see like the water droplets on the tomato <laughs> yeah. slice. And it's just kind yeah, of like it's like plastic. Yeah, yeah. It's not even real food. Um, OK, now. So in terms of like Disney using subliminal messages, now the popularity of home videos and DVDs means that messages can be heard repeatedly, almost propaganda like. I mean, how many times can you guys remember watching those VHSs as a kid? I mean, I remember like watching one and then rewinding it and rewatching it. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> like I watch Disney VHSs over and over. What uh, Lion King a lot? Okay, that was your favorite. What are some of you got? What were some of your favorites as a kid? Man, I'm not gonna even lie. Like Beauty and the Beast, like the intro. My sister could actually like recite that entire movie from like memory. It's pretty mind blowing. That was fire to you as a kid. That was your favorite. Yeah, I mean, like I really liked the intro. Like the songs in it were great. Um, I really liked Lion King. Was another big one for me. Aladdin. Aladdin. Classic. Aladdin was big. I think Aladdin was real big. Fantasia I loved as a kid. Yep. The Little Mermaid was tight too, honestly. You know, at the time. Yeah. Even that racist song of the South. I remember watching Zippity Doo on Laserdisc over and over. We didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) um, So, but 
my point with the VHSs is Disney died in 66. Now, VHSs didn't become popular until the 1980s. So I think like the likelihood that this was part of Walt's grand plan is slim to none. And now that's not to say there isn't some nefarious puppet master at Disney now pulling the strings on this stuff. Uh, but just in terms of, I guess, Walt as this like grand uh, evil figure, mind controlling kids, like he didn't even know what a VHS was, you know. Now, this book also pointed out, and I thought this was uh, pretty interesting, that Disney tried pretty hard, or at least, I guess, in the 90s, to balance its releases uh, to provide identification with the female gender as well. So you had... That's what I was talking about. Yeah, you had The Lion King in 94, male hero. Then you got Pocahontas in 95, female hero. Then you got Hercules in 97, and then Mulan in 98. Um, So they were... I guess trying to balance that out. Um, Mulan's another good one. Oh, yeah. I, I fucking loved Mulan. It's <laughs> I remember seeing it, I think, in theaters. No, that's a great one. The remake, I never saw it. I'm, like, afraid to see the remake, honestly. The live action. The live yeah, action. have you guys seen that? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've... I think I tried to watch the live action Aladdin, but then I was just like, ah, this oh, is... It was so now. bad, dude. Like... Yeah. So let's get into some of these classic uh, subliminal legends from the VHSs themselves. So first up, we got Aladdin, 93. Now, Jasmine and Aladdin, they're hanging out on the balcony. And it seems like Aladdin whispers, good teenagers, take off your clothes. You Have you guys heard of this one? I heard it was good kids. Good kids, take off your clothes. Uh, yeah, good kitty, take off your clothes. Um, good here, kitty? I've got, well, here, I pulled the YouTube there if you guys want to listen to it. And I'll probably... Should I play this on the cast, you think? Yeah. yeah. Let's okay. take a listen here. Come on, good teenagers, take off your clothes. Now, did you catch it in there? What I mean, what... I hear good kitty, take off your clothes. I don't even um, really hear take off your clothes. Okay, what'd you hear then? I do I hear the good kitty, but I don't You don't I, hear anything after I that? I mean I hear it, but I couldn't really I don't make it out as take off your clothes. Okay. Well others <laughs> say it's something along the lines of good tigers take off and go. Or good kitty take off and go, maybe. Um, now both Scott Wagner, who did Aladdin's dialogue, and Disney confirmed that that was in fact the line. Um, but it made so much controversy that the dialogue was edited since in the 2004 DVD edition. Now, this one seems to, I guess, have pretty much just spread by word of mouth back in the 90s. And I was trying to find, I guess, like who, like, where did this one get found? Like, who found this shit? You know, who comes up with this stuff? And I think it Psychos. was, well, it was, it, I don't know if a kid found it or something. It spread by word of mouth. But in the 90s, it was these like Christian type publications that would keep peddling this and write these sensationalized headline pieces like like modern day clickbait. Of Just like, like I said, psychos. Disney is, is uh, you know, they're priming Disney's your kids for sex. In the yeah, yeah. And it's these like fundamentalist Christian type groups. Um, I While mean, they're diddling kids meanwhile. Yeah. Any thoughts here on the Aladdin stuff? Uh, that one doesn't really hold any water for me. But okay. Like it's not like they're purposely subliminally <laughs> telling Dude, we probably kids. watched Aladdin a hundred times as kids. I never once was like, did he just say take off your clothes? But did you ever take off your clothes as a kid? 
I did not. You never took off your clothes as a kid. You were like fucking Tobias Bluth. <laughs> yeah, wearing my jeans and yeah. <laughs> shower with the clothes on. I took off, dude. I took off my clothes as a kid. I'm thinking this could have subliminally yeah. told. This guy was running around the house naked as a kid constantly. God, I'm thinking this could have subliminally too much Aladdin. Yeah, yeah too much Aladdin is brainwashing you subliminally. Um, okay, all right. Let's get into Lion King. So this came out in '94. Now, again, you know, we look up in the sky when Simba falls to the ground and the flower petals create sex in the sky. Now, I've got a, a picture of it here, and I'll put all these pictures on the Instagram. Is that right um, after you smashed Nala, though? <laughs> is that the female's name? Yeah. <laughs> Did he smash her in the film? Huh? It alludes to that. Uh, maybe I missed <laughs> that part. That I don't know. Maybe that's what they're saying then. So, yeah, again, like, dude. He got. He just got laid again. Oh. This is another one that was Guy's picked tired. up. This one was picked up in the '90s, most notably by conservative activist and Methodist minister Donald Wildman. <clears throat> now he asserted this was a subliminal message intended to promote sexual promiscuity. Uh, now, when Disney caught wind of this, animator Tom Sito clarified that the letters spell SFX as an innocent signature created by the effects animation team now i could see that you know but again if we're the effects animation team why would we make are they that innocent that they were like this could never be misinterpreted as sex written (laughs) absolutely not i mean and let's be honest that's definitely an e and not an f in the middle there I think that was just them like, ah, fuck, someone caught it. Okay, yeah, that so was that was their way out. You know? That's so obvious. All right, so you do think that looks like an E, though, oh, not an F? Hell yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm interested to see. I think that is literally right after that scene. Okay, and I got to say, guys, we've all watched The Lion King. Remember when they're in the jungle? And we've all had sex. <laughs> it's true. It all lines I mean, up. was this subliminally... <laughs> Was this subliminally telling us as kids that we are going to, we need to have sex right now? Maybe. Okay. That was their, uh, that's what they wanted. All right. Now we've also. More kids having sex so they can go to Disney World. Yeah. That is actually, that holds up. Dude, I didn't even. We're connecting the dots here. You're watching Lion King. You're having some sex. You're taking your clothes off. You're having sex. You're getting boners. And, and next thing you know, you're taking your kids to Disneyland. Yeah. Dude, that's just Disney's fucking smut peddling message to get more kids in their fucking theme parks to line their pockets with cash. This is a cash grab at its finest, convincing the kids subliminally to have sex so they have more mind-controlled puppets for their parks. Not the Lion King. <laughs> sex sells kitties. Let's get into it. All right. Little Mermaid, 1989. I did not realize it was 89. Um, the '89 Little Mermaid. Now there's yeah, no, nah, yeah. like, nah, it was like the late '80s, man. There's some cool videos of uh, what's her face, like like recording aerial songs. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Okay, now we got dicks, we got dicks <laughs> and boners left and right in this one. <laughs> now, so the first one, so we got the a picture right here. This is the minister. Is he a minister or a priest or a bishop? What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> so he's something. He's, 
So the minute, well, he has a hat like the Pope. Yeah, right? it does weirdly look like a Pope. And a boner, just like the Pope. So the Pope's <laughs> popping boners. All right, now, so we've got the minister with a boner in the wedding scene. Now, the animators Ariel claim... got him hard. <laughs> yeah, I guess somehow. Animators claim that this was his knees. What do we think on this one? <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't look like a knee to me. Unless his... Why is there only one? <laughs> just one knee? <laughs> well, I guess the, uh, I don't know, dude. I'm just saying this is what the animators said. They said can confirm it is his Boom. knee. Maybe it's just you are seeing boners because you've been primed with the sex in the Lion King. Although this, well, this was pre Lion King, yeah. yeah. So maybe. But why? What does he just randomly bend his leg, and they're just like, we're gonna animate his leg bending to make it look like a boner? I don't think they were consciously making it look like a boner. But uh, next one in the, I mean, we'll get, so there's the boner and then there's also the cover. You guys have all seen the dick castle, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Giant golden dick on the cover of the little mermaid. Um, now, <laughs> Pete. Sneptoon's cock. Yeah, this is penis castle. Now, contrary to common belief, um, this phallic like spire did not first appear on the cover to home video. Uh, the same background drawing of this castle with the these same spires appeared in promotional material and posters that accompanied the film's original original theatrical release. Now, the video cover does differ slightly from the original version, but the castle shown in the background is the same in both versions. So we got double dick covers on here. Now they're like, hey, that looks like a huge cock, so we're gonna need to change that. Well, for the, uh, I found cover. I found a questionable story, but I believe this to be the true story. Now, later versions of the laser disc were altered, removing this offending spire. Um, now, Disney and the cover designer is, insist that this was an accident, resulting from a late night rush job to finish the cover artwork. Sounds like a classic design. A classic dick design. Now this art. So Dave Woodman he's just got a he's got a problem. You know, eight percent of kids have it. So Dave Woodman, check this guy out. He's it. What he was a animator for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. His last name is Woodman. Yeah, Dave Woodman. Uh, now he didn't draw the dick, but this guy shares a bunch of like check. This, this guy's fucking wild on Instagram, dude. He's posting like all this shit from when he used to work at Disney on all these films, all these background stories. Now, he shares what he believes is the truth behind the art on his Instagram. Now, the way he tells it is that Ron Diaz told him that he was commissioned to do the artwork at the last minute. He had to work over the weekend to finish on time. Now, he's running off fumes towards the end of this, and he decides <laughs> to put a little joke in for himself, i.e. the dick tower. Now, <laughs> when Diaz looks Monday, he's like, okay, this... This wasn't as subtle as I thought, but he didn't have time. He's got a 10 a.m. meeting at Disney. He's got to fucking go. Uh, now, he allegedly felt guilty about this. He pointed out this to his contact who worked in production. She said, and he said, hey, you know, my bad. I'll revise this for free. I didn't realize this. Now, he was told. Sorry about this. Right <laughs> in the middle. Now, he was told that executives would go over in the same afternoon and he'd be advised for revisions. Now, after a week had gone by, he follows up on revisions and the production person said the cover had been approved even after she told them about the penis-shaped tower. Um, 
Now, as we know, this castle will be featured in the promotional materials, the posters during the movie's release. It's also on the home video cover. But it wasn't until 1990 that complaints started coming in about the tower. The original artwork um, was ceased to be printed on the original artwork was ceased to be printed on VHS tapes and was replaced with a dick-free version. Now, Diaz passed away in 2013 at the age of 76, and according to Woodman, in a comment on his post, he said that Diaz was too afraid to take the credit while he was alive. Now, what are we thinking here? I mean, this is believable, yeah? And it's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. What's funny well, I mean, is that... he told them, so <laughs> yeah. that's like... He tells them, and the execs are just like... Fuck it. We're just rolling with the fucking... No one's going to see it. No one's going to see this dick tower. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's I mean, ridiculous because, you know, like... I mean, obviously, I feel like it Dave, was a are joke. are we serious? A dick tower? Yeah. want to say that again? No, I mean, like, obviously, it was like a joke, you know, because it, it made it through so many different levels of approvals. They just see this dick and yeah, they're just like, let's go. Ta- let's green light it. <laughs> they probably didn't even notice. They are just like, yeah, fuck it, send it. Probably. Okay, so you think they didn't notice this fucking dick in the middle of the You town. think that lady really went to the execs and was like, hey, uh, artists thought it'd be funny to put a dick right here. You guys want to run with it? I would. So you think maybe she just lied to him? Maybe she was just like sent it, just was like, yeah, let's see what happens. Maybe she thought it was funny. Someone thought it was funny. Okay. Now, <laughs> all right, so next up now we're kind of going backwards in time here but this i think is one of the funnier ones so 1977 the rescuers you guys familiar with the film yeah yeah rescuers down under now rescuers this is the original not in in uh 77 so there's something hidden in what i believe is two frames of a scene in a window behind the mice full frontal tits and nips blasting out I've got a picture of that right here. This was in the actual film. This is no fucking bullshit. This is in two frames of the film. Uh, And this one is, I don't know, this is just so funny to me because it's essentially just like pure Tyler Durden fuckery. You know, this is 100% in there and it's extremely quick. And this also became like a giant scandal at Disney. It's like the uh, watermark episode of The Office, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So... On January 8th, 1999, three days after the film's second release on home video, the Walt Disney Company announced a recall of 3.4 million copies of videotapes because of this image. Now, this image appears twice in non-consecutive frames during the scene where Bianca and Bernard are flying on Orville's back through New York City. And this is at 24 frames per second, and it's only in two frames, so it's extremely quick. Now, a Disney spokeswoman said that the images in The Rescuers were placed in the film during post-production, yet she declined to say what they were or who placed them there. Now, I was looking this up. Woman in the photograph with her nips blasting out, never identified, and origins of this picture are still obscure. Now, Due to the timing and the fact that Disney outright admitted to what happened prior to anyone discovering it, a lot of people think that uh, Disney may have orchestrated this whole thing as a publicity stunt to drum up sales on a 20-plus-year-old film that was never one of their most popular ones. Uh, Now, I was thinking, 
was that possibly the plan with all of these? Were all of these possibly left in there to kind of, uh, this is a publicity stunt. It becomes a scandal. Um, you know, people want to buy this shit. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what are we thinking of that? I, I, I definitely think that's a possibility. I mean, like, it's the same thing now. You know, anything that's super sensationalistic, like sensationalistic and kind of out there and crazy, like, it gets attention. So maybe this is kind of the, okay. the inception of that. I don't know. Yeah, so so let's think about that. Disney starts adding in these, like, adult Easter eggs. In the 90s, you know, you got the dick tower, you got sex, you got take off your clothes. Uh, and eventually they claim they're all accidental or not even in there. And this all helped drum up publicity for VHS releases of their films. Um, possible. But in 1999, uh, I was looking up Disney earnings because, like I said, public company. Uh, 1999, Disney made $23.4 billion. So <laughs> did, did they really need to drum up sales of old VHSs? I don't I think it's more along the lines of like the Dave guy like just animators fucking around, fucking around being like I got away. one over. Yeah, like uh drop this fucking nude in here see if anyone <laughs> picks it up. Okay. Nope, nope, they didn't. Well, because got it's em. like we said, you know, you've got a it's like we said with the Looney Tunes stuff. You've got these adults working on this kid stuff. They so much want to be able to kind of have free reign. Maybe they think it's even funnier to be like the Tyler Durden of the bunch and Put in some tits, put in a dick, you know? That's fucking funny, dude. That's a funny joke. Am I right? Yeah, and I've we've probably seen that movie a bunch of times. I never noticed the fucking naked chick in there. Oh, yeah, 24 frames per second. It's only in two frames. That's like less than like 0.01 seconds that it's in there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think they need the money. Now, another theory is that you had these disgruntled, underpaid, overworked animators purposely sabotaging and hiding obscene images as sort of a fuck you to Disney. Now, while I don't think it was so much that, I think it is like we were saying, maybe just a ha-ha, not necessarily a fuck you. Yeah, definitely. Because you know? I'm looking up uh, Disney animators in the U.S., uh, their pay, and I think this was from like 2008 or 2010 or maybe now, but their pay ranges from 33k a year all the way to 751 with a median salary of about 158k per year. Yeah, that's not chump change. Yeah, so I mean, maybe you're not putting dicks in there because you're pissed off that you don't make enough. I um, think it's definitely just like uh, slipping it in, seeing... Like what you can get away with, like haha, got okay. it. Okay, and you, but you would risk your job as a maybe if you're one of these low paid. Well, animators? just like this one though, they never released who it was. They okay. don't know who put the picture in there. Yeah, but probably no one's gonna own up to it. <laughs> and you got like a team of animators, probably like ten guys working on it. All right, maybe there's a snitch in there, dude. You maybe, know? Yeah, we don't know what happened behind the scenes with this animator. You know, yeah, honestly, I'm thinking the animator who slipped this one in probably just thought, hey, nobody would ever notice. I mean, think about 1977. Home video wasn't common. Uh, you know, some titles were released on Super 8 and 16 millimeter film, but that was pretty rare. As we said, you know, VHS was brand new when the movie was released. Um, it didn't exist at all during the production of the film. 
Uh, you know, most movies got a theater release and that was it. Nobody was framing through all of these things to check <laughs> it before the theater, you know. It went unnoticed for 22 years because nobody was ever meant to see it, you know. It's just like we said, the animators got their personal satisfaction of I got that into a Disney movie, LOL. I totally think that's what it is. I'd have to agree with Rob. Like as much as like, you know, it might have been the subliminal messages or something like that. Like I, I think that they yeah. they were just messing around. Like, let's have a joke. Okay, so we don't Yeah. All right. So our so our theory doesn't stand that they're putting these subtle subliminal dick messages in for kids to have sex and and procreate and more mind control slaves for their no, I definitely think it was just like <laughs> Rob was saying, these like animators that were I mean, think about it. Like how epic is that? Like to be the animator that's just like, by the way, like that dick tower. Okay. And, like the little mermaid. Right. Like that was me. Yes. That is <laughs> extremely funny. That's gotta be very funny. Uh now all right, we talked about the man. We talked about some of these subliminal messages. Let's get into the real stuff, guys. Let's get into the fucking absolute truth. And we're talking Disney on ice. And I'm not talking about the musical. So here we go, guys. Picture this. I've painted this picture for you guys. So um, close your eyes. Really get in the mindset here. I'll put in some of the uh, some some of the pirate music here. So you're on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. You can smell the chlorinated water. You feel the other boat ram into the back of yours as the pirate anthem plays over the speakers. When you get off the ride, instead of proceeding down the normal exit route, you turn left, and you go down a long, dark hallway. This leads to a staircase descending into further darkness. You venture down with the light from your phone as a guide, when you notice a dim light on the far side of whatever room you found yourself in. One glowing light is emitting from this darkened void. Now as you approach, you can faintly make out the borders of some type of machine, but you can't exactly tell what this machine is. Now you approach it slowly, inching closer, to this growing cylinder, closer, closer with each breath. You wipe the frost away with the cuff of your sleeve, and you peer through this bright glass. As your eyes adjust to the light, you can see clear as day staring back at you the frozen face of Walt Disney. <laughs> now this is probably one of the most famous of all myths surrounding Walt Disney. Have you heard this one, that his head is frozen? Or that he had himself frozen? And buried under the pirate's ride. Yep, and under the pirate's ride is where he is. And the pirate's ride in Disneyland, not Disney World. Yeah, no, I heard that he was like cryogenically frozen or something, but I didn't know it was his head, and I didn't know that it was at the bottom of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. All right, well, check this one out. So, as with any myth, you know, this has its differences with each retelling. Some believe his whole body is frozen. Others believe it's just his head. Uh, but the main story arc of this one is that after Walt's death in 1966, he was cryogenically frozen in hopes that one day through the advances of science, reanimation would become possible. Now, there's a few reasons that this myth prevails and could possibly not even be a myth at all. 
Now, early uh, in early 1967, a few weeks after Disney's death, um, Disney died on December 15th, 1966. A reporter from a tabloid newspaper called the National Spotlight claimed to have snunk into St. Joseph's Hospital in Burbank across the street from Disney Studios. Uh, this was where Walt was treated during his final days. Uh, and as the story went, the reporter disguised himself as an orderly broke into a storage room and saw the deceased Disney suspended in a cryogenic metal cylinder. Um, now, this rumor became so widespread that two different biographies of Disney, one published in 86 and another in 93, hint that the rumors could be true, claiming that Disney expressed interest in cryogenics before his death However, both of these biographies use dubious inside sources at Disney and are widely questioned as far as their credibility. Now, furthermore, Walt's family held a private funeral. So all of this combined with a lack of public knowledge created sort of a vacuum for this conspiracy theory to bloom. Now, there's no evidence that Walt himself knew anything about cryogenics or expressed a wish to be frozen. But... Walt was an absolute sci-fi nerd. He was obsessed with technological advances that the future would bring. And shortly before and up to his death, Walt was working on plans for Walt Disney World, including the, quote, experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Now, this was the basis for, basis for Epcot, uh, which I guess he wanted to be like its own town, which sort of is what Disney World as a whole is. But I think Walt wanted like, Ep have you heard about this stuff? Disney's building, I think in like Palm Springs, they bought all this land and are building like a full on neighborhood that's fully Disney run. I've um, not heard about that. It's supposed to be like, obviously some fucking Main Street USA Mickey Mouse bullshit, you know? Trying to move there? <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, Sounds great. But I guess this was what Epcot was going to be. And then when Walt died, Roy just made it into an extension of the theme park. And it's essentially Tomorrowland for Disney World. Um, now, furthermore, Dr. James Bedford died in Glendale on January 12th, 1967. Now, he was an American psychology professor at the University of California and he is the first person whose body was cryopreserved after legal death and who remains preserved at the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, or Alcor for short. Uh, so less than a month after Walt Disney died and only miles away in Burbank, the technology existed in the same city at the same time. Now, I start looking into this Alcor and cryonics in general is fucking insane. Um, so the Alcor company, as of April 30th, 2021, has 182 who have died and whose corpses have been subject to cryonic process, and 116 bodies have had only their heads preserved. Now, Alcor also applies its cryonic process to the bodies of pets, and as of February 13th, 2009, there were 33 animal bodies preserved. Why? Dude, 
It's fucking insane. And this is like, what What are you going to do with the old ass dog? They're going to be reanimated, dude. Once technology comes up I and mean, think about the shit Google's working on. Elon Musk, the Neuralink, the robotics and shit. This is going to be huge. They're going to thaw these people out. Not for a person, not for a fucking dog or a cat. Think about you could have your dog back, dude. I mean, think about it, dude. They're like, you know, going to bring the mammoth back. But like they have like they have a couple frozen woolly mammoths. Oh, yeah. but And they have like all this stuff like preserved and, and, they're, and they're basically just gonna like genetically like rebirth it from nothing but that's like, be just like some yeah that's that's more jurassic like, park. like legit yeah that's more jurassic yeah. park if we're gonna rebirth this whole thing this would be like more i guess like austin powers of we're gonna freeze you and then just bring you back when the technology is there uh now i'm looking into it that's wild so you essentially become a member when you're alive and you pay a certain amount per month and then you pay 200 grand and they will freeze. I dude goal with this podcast is to make enough money for me to become a member of Alcor and I'm going to have my body cryogenically frozen when I die and be reanimated. How about just the head? We could do just the head. Although I was looking up like for Mars attacks. Yeah. So you see these pictures of the tanks here. I do. So the big ones I think have like up to three bodies in them. And it's like stored in liquid nitrogen. And then they oh. have up to like 45 heads in one chamber. But you, you family members can go like you could go check on my head and be like, oh, it's there. If you outlive me, <laughs> there he is. I'm just, this is what he wanted. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> what? That's so weird. This is insane. Now, uh, claims by Alcor's Mike Darwin say that Dr. Bedford's body was frozen within around two hours of his death from cardiorespiratory arrest. And his body was preserved by Robert Peota, author of the 1969 book Suspended Animation, Dr. Dante Brunel, a physician and biologist, and Robert Nelson, president of the Cryonic Society of California and author of We Froze the First Man. Now, compare... Compared to those <laughs> compared compared to those employed by modern cryonics organizations, the use of cryotectants in Bedford's case were primitive to say the least. He this is what they did to this guy. So he dies, and he was injected with a solution of 15% dimethyl sulfoxide and 85% ringer solution. Now, I guess this was a compound thought to be useful for long-term cryogenics. Um, so it was unlikely. Now, they're saying that, I guess, that's not the case. And it's now unlikely that his brain was protected enough um, as vitrification, which is, I guess, flash freezing, was not possible at the time, further limiting the possibility of Bedford's eventual recovery. Um, because with cryogenics... You essentially have to a like know exactly when you're going to die or pick your moment of death because the brain like with no oxygen to the brain, it decomposes so fast that they have to like preserve it right away. Does that make sense? And they have to preserve it in a way like it's not like they just dip you in liquid nitrogen because they have to preserve it in a way that your brain and your tissue and your skin doesn't just become ice crystals, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's crazy. They reanimate <laughs> it, you and you just have a fucking Slurpee for a brain. Well, I uh. think you would just die. You would just be dead. You yeah, know? or it'd be like a Frankenstein type thing. Um, 
Now, in his first suspended animation stages, his body was stored at Edward Hope's cryo care facility in Phoenix, Arizona for two years. Then in 1969, it was moved to the Galiso facility in California. Bedford's body was moved again from Galiso in 73 to Trans Time near Berkeley, California. That can't be good. Until 1977, <laughs> before being stored by his son for many years. Now, Bedford's body was maintained in liquid nitrogen by his family in Southern California until 1982, when it was then moved to Alcor Life Extension Foundation and has remained in Alcor's care to present day. Now, there, again, is a picture of the tanks. There's uh, bodies in there, I guess. Um, now, some stuff I was looking up with this. So, if we think that Disney was frozen... Um, there was this CIA program. I can't remember the name of it, but they essentially used code names that were like B movies or that, that were B movies in order to provide them cover for their operations. So, you know, let's say you make it like operation star Wars and then you go to Google star Wars. All you're going to get is star Wars hits, you know? Yeah. Now think about what is a very popular movie from Disney in the past, uh, I believe, 10, 20 years? Frozen? Uh, Encanto? Well, you Google Disney Frozen, probably going to get hits of the, uh, the movie. The movie, not necessarily Disney's Frozen Head. Although I did get a lot of hits. On, this is one of the biggest myths about Disney. Um, but also, you know, it's like we were saying at the top. Like, you were saying this is an insane idea, but... Is it really that insane? I mean, giant, massive companies like Google are looking into this stuff. They invest in it. Look at Elon Musk's whole fucking Neuralink shit, you know? We're making bodies more and more into robots every day. Do we think that this reanimation would be possible? I mean, would you... I'm, I'm saying I'm totally 100% down to be frozen. At least just my head for 80 grand. 80 grand? 80 grand, yeah, I'll freeze your head. <laughs> Yeah, but what what if your head was like if they could bring it back, like would they just put your head on like someone else's body or something? I guess yeah. I was wondering that. Like, what, how would that maybe would you work? get to choose like, like models? Like I think it would be cool to be choose like a T one thousand and like have my head on like a Terminator body. <laughs> like so let's yeah. say there is so let's say there is reanimation. It's possible. Now we got the people with the full bodies. What if the heads are just like they could put them on like spider legs or something, and it's just like your head? <laughs> like I don't like. I guess you could get anything, right? Like that that little creepy doll from Toy Story. Yeah, exactly. Like the doll head and the spider legs or whatever. Or like the villain in uh, Wild West, where he's like a spider. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess you would just be like uh, Krang, like the uh, brain in the jar, you know? Something cool like that. I don't know. I think it'd be fucking cool, and I think. Technology might not be there in the next hundred years, but if my head's frozen, they can bring me back. I'm coming back, dude. There's probably going to be a reanimation fee too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who's paying that? No one's going to know you in a hundred years. Rob, you're paying it, man. Dude, don't be don't be fucking negative here. This is my frozen dream. Frozen, <laughs> no. just like the movie. All right, so so Walt. Do we think Walt is frozen? I think there's a strong possibility that he's frozen. The head. I believe the you head. You think the head? I think he would have done full body. Okay. 
What are you thinking, Bill? I don't know, though. I don't know. Like, this is all just from one journalist that, like, like happened to, like, sneak kind in. of covertly sneak, sneak, quote-unquote, sneak into this right thing. Storage closet. Yeah, but what about the connections, dude? Walt's a huge sci-fi nerd. He loved fucking the, the prospects of the future yeah. of science. He happened to be under the care of the doctor who gets frozen months later. No, that, that he uh, wasn't under his care. That was just same city, same time. Okay. It was, yeah, it was really close, and that's the one weird thing about it. It was like, okay, this guy's saying that he found Walt cryogenically frozen like happenstance type thing or he yeah. was i guess he was seeking it out obviously um, his tale is probably bullshit um but i don't know who knows now i mean yeah i don't it's as rob said if he is frozen the rumors are that he's under the ride at pirates of the caribbean disneyland and Billy, we're talking about deaths in the park earlier, the haunted aspect. This is right up your alley. This is a bit of extra creepiness surrounding the ride. So we've all been on the ride, correct? We've been to Disneyland. We've taken the ride. Hell yeah. I love that ride. It's like my go-to. I'm on the ride at Disney World and Disneyland. All right. Now, when Pirates of the Caribbean opened at Disneyland in 1967, the ride opened just months after Walt Disney's passing. And it was the last thing that he personally oversaw. Now, one thing the Imagineers, which were the engineers that looked on, worked on the ride, one thing that they could not recreate were skeletons. So the Imagineers went to UCLA where they procured real human skeletons for the ride. Now, all... No big deal. So upon the ride's opening in 1967, all of the skeletons on the attraction were actual human bones. That's so cool. Creepy. <laughs> this is actually I, I can get behind yeah, this that. This is actual fact. Now, eventually, as you know, fake skeleton technology did improve, <laughs> and it's improving every day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, um, the skeleton technology is improving, so hopefully, one day we get the reanimation technology. Yes. Now, skeleton technology did in fact improve, <laughs> and a new generation of employees thought, "Hey." Maybe we remove these actual human bones from the ride. <laughs> you know, the, now, it says that the original bones were later returned to their countries of origin, given a proper burial. Uh, but many believe there are still a couple of real bones existing on the ride. Now, I was doing research into this. And there's a bunch of people out there who have, I guess, taken pictures. They've examined them. They've sent them to people to be examined. There's apparently three skulls one rib cage and a spinal column that remain on the ride. Now, if you find yourself in Disneyland on this ride, keep an eye out and you can find one of the skulls on the little island right after you take the second drop down the falls. It says, look for the crab and you'll find the skull. Now, on the same island, um, there is another skeleton, but only two parts are real, the skull and rib cage. Uh, there's also a real, I guess, alleged skeleton in the jail scene at the end. Um, you can see him, him mangled. His bones are beneath like the giant burned out beam. That's yeah. apparently a real skeleton just near the first jail cell. And the skull with crossbones mounted on the bed. The headboard. Yeah, yeah that's apparently real human skull, dude. I did watch a uh, I watched a video on this where it points out all the the real skeletons. It said 
it confirmed there's at least three still on the rack. Now that's pretty fucking metal, dude. I I was just about to say how metal that is. <laughs> I don't know if you uh, did any research into this as well, but um, you heard of how it's like illegal to scatter ashes at Disneyland in Disney World. Oh yeah, but a bunch of people do it anyways. Dude, they said that it is confirmed by Disney World that there's upwards of a thousand people's remains scattered in the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. But why would you want to be in there? You throw them in the fucking... Yeah, dude. Haunted Mansion, right? No, maybe they're actually haunting it. Well, it's like the little boy that supposedly haunts the... They want it to be haunted? They want to join the 99 happy haunts, dude. All right. 999, sorry. Okay. Now... How if, are you? How if are you, you? If you could go to Disneyland and have your ashes scattered, you go in Pirates or you go in Haunted Mansion, dude. I'm probably going like Splash uh, Mountain. I'd go up in the fucking castle and throw me out, dude. The castle? <laughs> yeah, like throw me off the top of the castle, dude. That's or a bread maybe, and butter right there, you know. Yeah, just off the top. Maybe Space Mizzy, dude. Oh my god! Yeah, just. Your ashes just fly in the face. (laughs) (laughs) While you're on a damn roller coaster. What about uh, Tower of Terror? That could be cool too. No? I don't know. Oh, Tower. Yeah, the original. The Twilight Zone one would be cool. Yeah, throw me out the top of there. Um, Just dusting the whole fucking crowd of Disneyland. Okay, so, you know, real human bones. That's pretty metal. That's pretty fucking Illuminati, I would say. Now, that brings us to the last bit. Let's get into the fucking Illuminati Walt. Now, so this is, if we go off the Illuminati theory, a lot of these people that hold this theory true claim since its inception, Walt and Disney as a a whole have been using their cartoons as a platform to subliminally control the minds of millions. Now, a lot of these websites I found this stuff on posit that Walt Disney was not only a pedophile who liked little boys, but a Satanist and some type of male witch, also a 33rd degree Freemason and a member of the Illuminati. Now, that's a lot of claims right there. Um, And I did, I was looking at this because I was curious if Walt was in the Freemasons. So he was not a Freemason, but he was a member of de malaise which i guess is like uh it's like masons for kids it's like ages 12 to 21 uh but his brother roy was a freemason now another fact is that at walt disney world there's a secret exclusive club called 33 now there is a 25 to 100 grand initiation fee and a 12 to 30k annual fee depending on the level of membership And there is said to be a 14-year waiting list for membership, which is by invite only. Now, Club 33, that's right up there with 33-degree Freemasons. I read that uh, to be in Club 33 at Disney World, the initiation fee is actually 33K. Okay, there we go. More. And what perks come with this club? Like a fourteen-year wait list and like. It's like you basically. It's like you get all these fine dining shit. You get to fucking go like. You can, I think you can actually stay in the park. 
Yeah, too. you. It's like all the rooms above like Main Street are like restaurants, and you get served like champagne and alcohol, and you can eat all this crazy food, and just you get to move around the park like through the tunnels, not be seen, not wait in line, like probably pretty fucking badass but i don't know about that yeah that actually does sound pretty dope (laughs) yeah just 33k it's also a lot of money like yeah now now disney as a company you know it's also one of the six major organizations which control the world's media you know disney as a whole owns abc espn pixar miramax marvel 50 percent of a and e which owns viceland and all their subsidiaries um Now, I'm reading into this book, and this is a hell of a title. This is Deeper Insights into the Illuminati Formula Used to Create an Undetectable Total Mind-Controlled Slave by Fritz Springmeier. Now, now this book is kind of crazy. Now, this is from the book. So so I pulled this from the (laughs) website because he says this is all fair use, and he wants his message to get out there. Anybody can use this. Now, he claims that... Quote, the Illuminati use these fronts like media, big corporations, and this type of stuff to operate. And behind Disney's good front lies hard porn, snuff films, white slavery, Illuminati mind control, and the seduction of several generations into witchcraft. He says nobody has sold America witchcraft as well as the Disney brothers. Never now, thought about it like that. Now, well, that's facts. Yeah. That is facts because Disneyland, Peculiar. Disney World, these are world famous, right? They are. Now, in the book, he says they are also extremely important programming centers for the Illuminati to create total mind-controlled slaves. Disneyland is also invo- involved with providing a place for rituals, porn, and other satanic activities. In terms of deception, Disney movies and Disney amusement parks rate as one of the best deceptions. According to deprogrammed ex-Illuminati slaves, the Illuminati in the 1960s needed to shift their programming away from military bases because too much publicity was shined on these military bases. Now, their goal was to have some place people from all over the world would come without raising any suspicions and a place which would be perfect cover for many of their criminal activities. These Illuminati programmers got a big laugh out of using Disneyland as a major Illuminati base for criminal activity. Under the disguise of entertaining the world, they carried out money laundering, child slavery laundering, and mind control. They nicknamed Disneyland the Little Syndicate of Mind Control. Damn. That's a lot of claims. Now, Walt Disney movies have played a key role in providing entertainment for the masses to ensure Illuminati control. Now, what are we thinking about this whole angle? I mean, the site I got this on was like one of the fundamentalist Christian type sites. And it's like a hundred pages and it's, it's ramblings like this. It's, it's wildly inconsistent. And some of the stuff is outright false. Like he goes on to claim that Reagan, when he became governor, helped do favors for Walt Disney, but Reagan became governor after Walt Disney was already dead. Maybe he's saying that he had his, he was doing favors over the frozen head, you know? Maybe he had hands in uh, whoever was running the Disney Corporation after Walt. Which was Roy, his brother, who was a Freemason. 33 Club, baby. All right. Okay. So we're so there you go. Illuminati only. All right. So are you guys saying there's some credence to this Illuminati theory? Could be. 
I'm I'll buy it. Okay, Billy, what are we saying? Man, I need I, I need to hear the facts though. Okay, you know hashtag facts. All right, well we or just, hashtag evidence. All right, well we just gave you the overview, albeit from a pretty crazy site. Um, but let's uh, now I went with this site and I started looking more into this. So let's switch gears because I found I guess a a site that I thought had a little more evidence scattered about. Um, so as we know, Walt Disney. It's a fucking, it's a huge fucking corporation. They, as we said, they provide uh, millions of kids around the world with entertainment. Um, now this site, this site goes on to claim, yes, that Walt Disney had accomplished numerous truly amazing feats when it comes to deceiving people, seeming to provide exciting yet wholesome entertainment while delivering witchcraft and occult mind control right into your homes. Now they use powerful subliminal messages imagery and symbolism of occult witchcraft pagan illuminati masonic sexual and other satanic origins uh the borders separating good and evil are blurred and often good is subtly or overtly made to seem evil boring or just plain wrong while evil is presented as good somehow interesting fascinating glamorous exciting and desirable now it's like we said Disney uses these fables, these legends um, from all over the world, and they apply various themes <clears throat> to places like nature, animals, characters, both real and fantasy, along with appealing music and lyrics, creatively manipulated and packaged to cater to their evil agenda. Now, many of these fairy stories are pretty dark anyways, but Disney has cultivated the expertise to make them <coughs> even darker ingeniously disguised as wholesome family entertainment. Now this guy goes on to say almost every Disney film has some type of witch, which I guess we could say. Yeah. Now in Disney's little mermaid, Ariel signs a contract with the evil witch Ursula or sells her soul to her in exchange for being human. So she can marry her prince. That's facts. That's facts. There's also a plethora of demonic pagan gods and temples with some impressive imagery. So he says time and again, the hero or heroine is seen to visit these uh, pagan places to consult them. But there is little mention of God in the actual Bible. Uh, you know, for example, the true story of Pocahontas, she was like forced to convert to Christianity. But in the Disney movie, she visits a temple in this fucking willow tree. He's saying this is like a demonic pagan nature god. I mean, that's a stretch. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, that's a stretch. Just kind of like digging a little deep on that one. Maybe overthinking it. Okay, maybe bit. not sata satanic, but de um, pagan. Yeah, but it's a Native American princess that is one with the one with the nature that's in her surroundings, you know? Yeah, isn't that weren't weren't pagans like trying to she's get not, back to nature? She's not like worshiping the devil, fucking having like a human sacrifice. Going out and Yeah, like eating babies and shit. Okay, okay. Now they okay, it goes on to say Fantasia is full of demonic imagery and mythological creatures. In the cartoon, the third that Disney made, and its sequel, even good beings are being depicted as creatures connected with myth mythology, such as satyrs, a.k.a. centaurs or fauns, uh, and the half-human, half-goat creature 
which is actually a representation of the god Pan, which can, in some circles, be interpreted as Satan or at the least a vessel for Satan. Now, remember, we talked about this on our Jack Parsons um, episode. Parsons and Crowley were obsessed with Pan. He's like the god of fertility or something. That's true, yeah. And he had that whole chant to Pan, so... Peter Pan? Not not Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, I was thinking too. Now, was like, wait, what? Mulan. Mulan has a guardian, which is a red dragon, thus leading adults and children to believe that Satan, who is portrayed as the red dragon in the Bible, will guard and help protect them rather than destroy them. Okay, but that's another that's, that's another cultural thing that they're interpreting through the views of Christianity, not through the views of that culture. Uh, which would be what Confucianism? What was big in China at the time, right? I'm not sure, but I mean, dragons are always like pretty prevalent in Asian cultures. Am I wrong? Ask the Asian. No, you were correct. Like, I mean, that's like. And that's like a good just because there's a red dragon in it, not always a negative. I mean, maybe I don't know about the different colors, but I feel like dragons are usually, unless it's like a fucking medieval thing in the Asian culture, dragons are more of like a like a good luck thing, not a evil satanic thing, right? I don't know. Yeah, and that's what Mushu was like. Mushu was just like a good vibe. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of a stretch to see like a dragon and be like, oh, it's yeah. Satan. Okay. I mean, like, that's, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they see. They've got us ingrained, guys. We grew up on Milan. So we think Eddie Murphy as the laughable, playable dragon is good. When all of reality, that's fucking Satan influencing us, dude. Yeah, I don't know. Am I right or am I right here? Okay. All right. I'm not buying that All right, one. so we're not buying that. We're buying like half of them. Now, how about Disney's Magic Kingdom? This is, in fact, he says, in line with the devil's compulsion to imitate God, a satanic counterfeit of God's kingdom. So this is a satanic temple, not, in fact, Cinderella's castle. I think what he's saying is it's, it's, it's an illusion of like... Um, satan tempting jesus in the desert right he's saying hey come look at this fucking kingdom i've built here it's it's not god's kingdom it's an illusion that he's built here on earth okay now in the hugely successful pirates of the caribbean movies disney has presented pirates who are in reality thieves plunderers and murderers as something glamorous that children want to imitate to act out and dress up like and even want to be one I'd be a fucking pirate. <laughs> well, that, they're corrupt. That's what he's saying. He's They're corrupting the kids, making them saying, hey, pirates were good guys. When all the reality, Blackbeard's out there fucking murdering people and fucking raping and pillaging. Yeah, that's badass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Viking style over here. So imagine if Disney made like a Viking ride that was like. They do like, have a Viking ride. <laughs> they do. In Norway. Oh, the well, that's like the fjord one. I mean, yeah. like a one of like. It's like the Northmen uh, where he's fucking chopping these dudes chopping off. Chopping the off. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't even. Really yeah, like, no, but he's like saving the day. Yeah. You know? um, like it's all butterflies and rainbows. Now, all right. Now he goes on to kind of say that Walt Disney's uh, spitting out some more facts here. He says that Walt Disney's uh, Magic Kingdom in Florida covers 30,000 acres or 47 square miles. That's the same size as San Francisco, twice the size of Manhattan. Um, 
and only 7,000 acres of that land have been developed with the four theme parks taking up just over 1,000 acres. Now, underneath is a network of nine acres of tunnels known as utilidors or utility corridors, which are accessed from unmarked doors through the Magic Kingdom, including shops, restaurants, attractions. Now, it is rumored club only. Now, it is rumored that there are terrible things going on in these utilidors, as they're a perfect place to hide the production of child pornography and child trafficking. People have reported being taken to Disneyland as children. Some at nighttime, where they have been terrorized and abused. Now, again, that's just a fucking wild claim <laughs> to jump from like, hey, they've got these corridors to move around in. They're fucking child trafficking in there. They're banging kids down there. Now, <laughs> he goes on to use Mary Poppins as like proof of this, saying this is one of the most beloved films of all time. It's generally regarded as an entirely wholesome and good for children. Yet let's let's look more closely. We see that clearly Mary Poppins is in fact about a witch with a dark agenda. Now witchcraft. What's really in that spoonful of sugar? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now what is she giving those kids? What's that medicine now? Witchcraft Cocaine. is the manipulation <laughs> of reality with the intent to control. In the film, Mary Poppins has a spellbinding effect on people, especially the children. She seems very nice, proper, wholesome, yet she has some traits that are not so pleasant. She is rude, abrupt, and critical of children at times. Uh, and she also appears to be vain, describing herself as practically perfect in every way. Now, in fact, Mary Poppins has some hallmarks of a witch, albeit somewhat disguised. What is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious but a spell, an incantation like Hocus Pocus or Abracadabra? And how else can she pull all sorts of things out of her magic carpet bag? Now, Mary Poppins also leads the children to a journey into magical realms like the Pied Piper. And rather than a broom, she flies with an umbrella. But she does manipulate and control reality. She gaslights these children, telling them that they have imagined their journeys to other realms. Now, is that true? Does I was trying to think of the plot of Mary Poppins. Does she ever tell the kids, like, hey, don't talk about this to the other adults? Does she ever say that? I don't think so. But then again, I haven't really watched it in a while. So I probably yeah, wouldn't be the best. that's one that I watched a bunch of times. Yeah. So. Well, so the jury's still out on that. Maybe I should have watched the film. But... Is Mary Poppins is a witch, dude. Straight up. It definitely. You have laid out the facts. Yeah, I mean, she floats down, like, flies around, has the umbrella. Creepy. Okay. Kind of weird. Now, how about this one? Disney's Pinocchio. Billy, this is one of your favorites. A coachman pays a fox to capture stupid little boys. Now, this fox is afraid of being caught, but the coachman insists there's no risk. He says they never come back as boys. In this scene, the children are trafficked to Pleasure Island, hinting at sexual pleasure. At Pleasure Island, there are no rules, echoing a satanic mindset of do what thou wilt. Classic. Uh, classic Crowley. Now, thoughts here. Is all of this stuff that this guy writes credible? Is Walt probably a peddler for the Illuminati? I mean, the Pleasure Island one, that one's pretty sick. Yeah, that one's <laughs> that a little one weird. But again, isn't it just to the message of Pinocchio of like, be a, don't be a jackass? Isn't that the whole thing? They turn into jackasses, right? 
And they're like, hey, don't be smoking and drinking at Pleasure Island or you'll get boofed by these old guys. Yeah, but they're literally taking the kids to this island where they can do whatever they want and then they turn into that. And they're saying be aware of that. And then they have Pleasure Island at Disney World. They did. They don't have it anymore. (laughs) Where you can go smoke and drink. All right. So that's what you used to be able to do there, right? I think there might have been a strip club there. It's for adults and you're you were allowed to smoke there and that's where all the alcohol is. They used to not have the alcohol wasn't as prevalent in the theme park. It was like more I mean, that's kinda cool, dude. Yeah, dude. Pleasure Island. Well you can drink in uh, Magic Kingdom now. (laughs) Disney themed strip park, strip (laughs) club. Pleasure Island. You just got fucking Epstein. Right yeah, there. right. Um, That's so bad. I, do we actually think that he's a peddler for the Illuminati? Yes or no? I could see him having some connections. I mean, think about all the uh, higher ups that he was brushing shoulders with back in the day. But if we're saying he has got connections, then we're saying the man as a whole was corrupt and evil. Well, right? His brother is a Freemason and took over control. So maybe Walt, not so much, but maybe his brother. Okay. Maybe the new guys are, are smart yeah. peddlers, Freemasons. Come join 33 Club. Check out these tunnels we got. All right. Okay. All right, guys, let's let's start to round this one out. So Maybe can we save up, join the 33 club. <laughs> and get our heads frozen. There you yeah. go. So I'm thinking to round this one out, I'm concluding with, um, I mean, I think it's like we said at the top of the episode, you've got this age of media of like internet corporate greed has essentially taken over. It's not like Disney's not what it was when Walt founded it. Um, and said that at the top. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I literally just said. And we said that at the top. And Disney. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yes, it's exactly like we were saying. Corporate greed has taken over. It's a cash grab at this point. Uh, now, I was looking up like more of this animator salary type stuff. So in the 30s, a animator was paid 15 grand annual salary. Damn, that's a lot in the 30s. Yeah, adjusted for inflation, that's like 266K. Now, Jeez. ink and painters, only about 4K, uh, which is about 66 in today's dollars. These guys are called Imagineers now. No, that's the like engineers that built uh, the theme park. Okay. These were like people that did the cartoons in the 30s. Now, from... The two thousand a two thousand one article I found because I was I was looking at like you know are the animators like how how are they because these are the guys making the content right yeah yeah for three hundred k a year almost so this guy writes from a two thousand one article he says that the animation unit was beefed up after the success of Lion King and peaked in nineteen ninety seven now by the end of two thousand three it is expected to shrink by more than two than thirty five percent. Now, although Disney animated features remain key profit drivers for the studio, they haven't generated the kind of huge spin-off sales of videos and merchandise of early blockbusters. One reason Disney films haven't made as much money in recent years is rising production and labor costs. In the last decade, journeyman animators saw their salaries jump from $1,500 a week to nearly $3,000. So it's kind of like we were saying. When Disney started out, you didn't have home video. And that and a lot of the early stuff was box office flops. They weren't making money on it. Then VHS comes around. Kids love this shit. They're eating it up. They got the theme park. Disney's peaking. 
But it, then if you start paying the animators all this money, obviously there it's not the same profit ratio because back in the 30s, they were making jack shit. And then all the stuff starts booming and they're getting profit off of it. It's not the same as if you're paying these guys top dollar and they're releasing something that does okay at the box office, you know? Yeah. Now, he says it got to a place where the film's we're reaching a decreasing level of profitability. But longtime animators say that more serious problem is that the division, once the premier place to work, lacks the creative vibrancy that it fought that fostered such hits as the Lion King. Now, I keep reading into this because I'm fascinated by this like I guess wage gap between Disney execs and the animators. Now, Disney executives are living a lifestyle that animators can't even begin to imagine. Now, this is from a 2008 article, I believe. So the Wall Street Journal recently reported that Disney CEO Bob Iger, who is not the CEO anymore, received a 7% pay increase in 2007 for a total financial compensation of $27.7 million. According to the company's statement, the breakdown is $2 million salary which remained the same from 2006, 13.7 million bonus, which decreased from his 15 million bonus in 2006. Oh man, only got 13 mil this year. <laughs> Stock awards totaling 7.9 million and 740K for personal air travel security and car benefit. Now other Disney execs who earned healthy sums were CFO Thomas Staggs, 9 million, general counsel Alan Braverman, 7.9 million executive VP of human resources, Wesley Coleman, 2.7 million and executive VP for corporate strategy, Kevin Mayer, 2.6 million. Now, what are we thinking here? I like, obviously it's like we said, these people are fucking just taking the cash and going right. This guy does not need $27.7 million. Disney probably wasn't even making anywhere close to that when he owned the fucking company, you know? That's true. Um, obviously, you know, there's there's problems with corporate overreach, but, you know, we can't necessarily just throw all the blame of this on Walt. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of Disney, Walt has been dead for 56 years. That's longer than he was alive and running the place. Uh, he was running Disney for 43 years because they signed their first contract in 1923. Um, now, I was trying to think about like a conclusion of all this because, and I've been watching a lot of uh, Succession lately. I just finished all three seasons. You guys ever watch that show? No, I have not. HBO about like uh, media mogul and his family all fighting for like the to take his spot um, and I would assume this is true with like any mega dynasty or corporation like Disney now the founder has his reasons his drive his ideals for creating the company and making it as successful as it is or the success just follows the passion you know you know people say like do what you love and like you'll eventually make money from it or whatever become successful because you're doing something you truly love. Yeah. Now, as we said, Walt had a passion for cartooning. He lived on the cusp of bankruptcy to get this company going, smoking three packs a day. Probably hella stressed out. Yeah. Always stressed out, you know, but Walt smoking Disney. <laughs> as the company goes on, 
and successors rise in the ranks, new leadership is crowned, there's less and less concern for original ideas and more focus on keeping this power and, of course, making money. So, you know, that's, it's kind of exactly what we were saying at the top. It gets further and further away from the original ideas that founded the company. Um, now, to close this one out, I wanted to use this quote from this article I found by Philip K. Dick. Um, and, and he always wrote it. You know, he did Blade Runner. We've done an episode on him. He did like, uh, he always writes about like what is reality and is, yep. it's a big theme in his work. Um, now he writes this essay in 1978 and he kind of defines reality. He says that reality is that which when you stop believing in it, it doesn't go away. Now he goes on to say today we live in a society which spurious realities are manufactured by the media, by governments, by big corporations, by religious groups, political groups, and the electronic Hardware exists by which to deliver these pseudo worlds right into the heads of the reader, the viewer, the listener. Now, keep in mind, this is in 1978. Facts again. It goes on to say, when I watch my 11 year old daughter watch TV, I wonder what she is being taught. The problem of miscuing. Consider that a TV program produced for adults is viewed by a small child. Half of what is said and done in the TV drama is probably misunderstood by the child. Maybe it's all misunderstood. How authentic is the information anyhow? Even if the child correctly understood it, what is the relationship between the average TV situation comedy to reality? What about the cop shows? Cars are continually swerving out of control, crashing, catching fire. Police are always good and they always win. Don't ignore that point. The police always win. What, what lesson is that? You should not fight authority. And even if you do, you're going to lose. The message here is be passive and cooperate. Says, so I ask in my writing, what is real? Because unceasingly we are bombarded with pseudo realities manufactured by very sophisticated people using very sophisticated electronic mechanisms. I do not distrust their motives. I distrust their power. They have a lot of it, and it is an astonishing power. That of creating whole universes, universes of the mind. I consider that the matter of defining what is reality a serious topic, even a vital topic. And in there somewhere is the other topic, the definition of the authentic human. Because of the bombardment of pseudo-realities begins to produce inauthentic humans very quickly, spurless humans as fake as the data pressing on them from all sides. Fake realities create fake humans. Fake humans will generate fake realities and sell them to other humans, turning them eventually into forgeries of themselves. So we wind up with fake humans inventing fake realities and peddling them to other fake humans. It is just a very large version of Disneyland. We have fiction mimicking truth and truth mimicking fiction. We have a dangerous overlap, a dangerous blur. And in all probability, it is not deliberate. Now, so what are we thinking there? Because I thought a lot about this quote and it is like, it's like Disneyland is just this, it's just this manufactured, as we said, I guess, cash grab. I don't know. 
I mean, I think that uh, that obviously was deliberate. Obviously, like Disney did want to start it, I think, to be a wholesome place for kids. But as I think it's evolved, it's just be like you go to Disney, it's fucking packed to the brim. You're waiting in long lines to ride these these themes. Everything is like fake and produced. It's just a giant or you can pay extra. And yeah. that way, <laughs> exactly. It's all it's all fucking money and money rules the universe, right? Cash rolls everything around me. And I think it was like really what I really liked about that was like um, I don't trust their motives. I trust their like love of power, and like I think that, that yeah, that's yeah. very re- like relevant like today in many ways. And you know, I th- I do agree with you. I think Disney had a vision of what he wanted, and I, I you know the whole like him being a racist or him being part of the Illuminati like that's. I think that's a little coming from left field. I I think it's a possibility, but I think some of those conclusions are a little um, a little blurry. But I definitely think no, you know, without a doubt that Disney has become a complete cash grab, and they've definitely, you know, sacrificed the art for like whatever's going to like make them money. You know, because ultimately, I think that's yeah. what every business tries to accomplish. Yeah. And I mean, there is a lot to unpack in this quote, but it is like, you know, the obviously Disney has an immense amount of power. Maybe they didn't aim to get that, but they definitely aim to keep it. I mean, you see them taking over shit like Marvel. They bought out Pixar. They're a massive corporation. They are providing entertainment for kids, whether or not they... Well, more than just that, dude. They own ESPN now, too. So it's yeah. like all fronts covered. And Star Wars. Yeah. They got the kids. They got the adults. They got the news coverage. They got the sports coverage. It's like whether they like it or not, they are shaping how a lot of people see the world. I mean, they own ABC. They own a lot of these news circuits and shit like oh, that. I think they like it. <laughs> no. um, but I'm saying here, like, yeah, it is like you're saying, you know, it, maybe their motives started out as good, but their power has, has has overcome that. And it is like when you ask yourself about blurring the lines of reality and fiction, like in this quote, it's like, think about like 100 years from now, where are we going to be? With, like, look at the stuff we talked about, the Neuralink, cryogenics, uh, Elon Musk making all this crazy technology, uh, Disneyland owning the media, the metaverse, like kids spending 30 grand on fucking nfts like is all of this just gonna become like are we gonna move further into inner space as opposed to i don't know i mean it is like the um it's almost like we've lost the way with the age of the internet like the internet could have been this powerful tool to unite everybody in racism like all this shit like the guys who invented it were saying but it's almost like we have lost the way and it's just corporate greed and and money grabs and um, a, a corruption to the very like core of humanity. Well, also, I think that that excerpt from the Philip K. Dick was like a great foreshadowing of what has kind of become of our world these days because... Exactly, that was 78. Yeah, because look at it nowadays. Anytime you see a new news story or clickbait article how many people are just fucking mindlessly reposting the shit on their instagram or their facebook or their fucking twitter feed or whatever without actually even checking in to see what is actually factually based or just like oh i saw this and 
everyone's talking about it. So yeah, let it's me reshare. Like, like we were talking about with the Disney stuff. Oh, you see, hey, Disney was a, a Nazi. Like I've seen so many people repeat it and just like, it just becomes this snowballed yeah. myth, but it is like, you know. Just all regurgitation of what someone thought was real when actually it's not. And then these, you got the, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to think about, I mean, I think it is exactly we hit the nail on the head and maybe we're beating off the dead horse here, but it's like. Uh, you got to beat, beat off the dead horse every once in a while. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> just, I think it's just fucking, it's, cor- it's corporate greed at its finest, people. This is fucking welcome to corporate America. <laughs> Fake reality. Yeah. Enjoy your fake reality. Go live in your Palm Springs Disneyland, which I is uh, I'd ma- love that. <laughs> manufactured. Uh, you know, you're working fucking ten days a week for Disney. You don't own the property, um, and yeah, you can just go get your fucking Mickey Mouse pills <laughs> and fucking zone out watching uh, Frozen. Disney Plus, that's yeah. the, all you can watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Disney Plus and ESPN, that's all you get. Th- yeah, that's yeah. it. Only choices. Sorry. And there you have it, guys. I mean, that's as much as we could pack into this episode. I'm sure we missed a bunch of stuff. Like I said, it was there was a ton of research into this one, and I even, I mean, I didn't get to talk about a lot of the stuff, like his, like the death of his mom. It's crazy, dude. Like he bought, he blamed himself for the death of his mom because he got rich, bought his parents a house and she died of a gas leak in the house. So he like blamed himself for her death. And a lot of people say that that's why like Disney films don't picture like mothers like are absent in a lot of Disney films. Uh, I think again, that's a myth though, but I mean, there's, there's so much shit you could look up. I mean, let us know what you guys think. Was Disney a a Nazi? Is he an Illuminati programmed uh, peddler for satanic and occult beliefs? Um, and it, and let us know this, your thoughts on corporate America. And, uh, <laughs> there you have it guys. Uh, that is Disney conspiracies. Now on this one, I want to cite vulture.com, um, pastemagazine.com for the Walt, the quasi Nazi, um, fascist history of Disney, which was basically just a fucking hit piece. Uh, sfgate.com for the Pirates of the Caribbean article, truthinreality.com for the Disney occult deception, cartoonbrew.com for the salaries of Disney execs by Amid Amidi, uh, entertainmentinquiry.net, and of course, Walt Disney Triumph of the American Imagination by Neil Gabler, and How to Build a Universe That Doesn't Fall Apart Two Days Later by Philip K. Dick. Uh, so yeah great name there you have it guys uh that is everything we got on disney uh and on that loyal legion as always thank you for tuning in today with us uh if you liked it go ahead and give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast spotify apple uh google play soundcloud uh feel free to give us a dm on podcast from outer space on instagram Uh, Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you want to tune into next. Uh, We got some exciting stuff in the queue. And uh, we got a new uh, website up and running. Podcastfromouterspace.com is still the domain. And uh, we got some new merch coming out. So check out for that. Yeah. No, this is a a fun topic, guys. Um, A lot to unpack for sure. 
there's so much there's so much with Disney that people just don't think about at least I never did but yeah thanks for the listen everyone and we will see y'all on the flip side yeah and I do want to say yes we have revamped the website so check that out uh and we'll have a I've, I've also got a link to some more merch which will have like print on demand type stuff uh so we finally got a bunch of other designs that Rob has been working tirelessly on last minute just like these <laughs> disney guys you know yeah so maybe there's a couple <laughs> dicks in there uh for good measure uh, but yeah check check that stuff out i'll be making some posts about that in the uh coming days and uh you know stay safe out there everybody and on that we are signing off <laughs>